Developing the Leader Within is a podcast that focuses on leadership, management, and career development. We nosedive into the areas that are holding you back from your full potential. Let us begin. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Developing the Leader Within podcast. I'm Enrique, and today I am so happy to have Teresa with me. This has been uh, a, a plan in a, in a while back, but this topic is so near and dear to my heart. I know it is for you, Teresa. So thank you so much for being with me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. We got way too much teeth on this podcast. I know. People already. have really big smiles. <laughs> yes, that, and and I love that because you know, for the listener, uh, you can't see this, but if you're watching on YouTube, you will see this. Uh, it, it's just so much joy around this topic, mm. maybe not for the person learning <laughs> these, these things, but for the person that's executing EQ on, on a daily basis. And folks, today we're talking about leadership and EQ. Teresa is going to guide us through a wonderful conversation we're going to have about that and her subject uh, matter expertise on it. But if uh, you know, Teresa, I'm a believer. If you don't have EQ, you're going to have a hard time as a leader. Uh, and most often not, you're surviving at best. And those under you in leadership are surviving even worse because they're surviving for themselves and your leadership. So um, first, quickly, tell us a little bit about you, and then we'll get into the subject matter. So... I work in this space of emotional intelligence, of course, and what drew me towards it was my own personal journey. So in, in my late 20s, I received some feedback from family members around my behavior with the relationship with my mom. And it wasn't the first time I'd received feedback from people who were just like, why are you a little bit different? They were really being nice, a little bit different when you're around your mom. And we all have relationships like that, that we can relate to, where it seems like the other person pushes our buttons and we lose all control over our values, our beliefs, our humanity, and, and we let the emotion just drive what we're doing. And it may have just been the perfect storm of the timing when it was said in that moment where I heard it differently than I had heard it before. Before when I had received that feedback, which anyone, I, I believe also can relate to the fact that we get feedback from other people all the time. And uh, if we're defensive to it, or if we're like, that's BS, they don't know what they're talking about. The reality of that is underneath that first defensive layer is, is a different emotion. And there will be layers of emotions under that defensiveness. And most of it will come down to the fact of like, mm, I know intuitively what they say has weight to it. And I should probably give it attention. So I gave it attention. And I went to the bookstore and found a book. And in it, it wasn't a book on emotional intelligence, but in it, it basically said, no one makes you feel anything. You choose. And when you choose to behave in that way, that is against who you in intrinsically are, basically you're giving away all your power. And those two things really stuck with me. And this first book led to another book, led to another book, led to another book. And in my early 30s, I was introduced to the topic of emotional intelligence formally, had my EQI assessment done and started specifically working on 
specific skills in emotional intelligence. Before that point, I was working on my emotional self-awareness and my emotional management, which are two of the foundational pillars of emotional intelligence anyways. In the world of psychology, these things are well known as well. So when we niche it into emotional intelligence, basically what I learned was I was way more productive and efficient and effective and successful when I was emotionally intelligent than when I wasn't. And the people around me, because I was a leader, became more so as well. And in acknowledging that in my professional career, I soon discovered that for me, it was the work that I enjoyed doing the most. It gave me the greatest amount of meaning and fulfillment. And so when I left the corporate world to start my own business, I decided, what do I want to do? I want to do this. This is the most favorite part of the job I was already doing. I just don't want to do the other stuff associated with it. I just want to do this. And so that's what I've been doing for the last two and a half, three years. And that's wonderful. I, I love the story, you know, behind that uh, moment. You know, there's always moments for us that are pivotal. They, they just, you know, they change the trajectory of our life from that moment on. I, I love that that happened to you. More importantly than the moment was your choice, your, your, your ability to choose for you, right? And, and in your best interest, which has ended up in a, in a great uh, career for you. And, and I've been following everything you've been doing for a long time when we was uh, part of the heart-centered uh, focus groups. And, and uh, well, at least I was because I started going away, but you guys are still going. But uh that that those moments are really defining. Uh, and so congratulations to you, first of all, for getting to that point to decide for yourself. And for those listening, you must get to that point where you're deciding for your best interest, not against self-preservation, because self-preservation doesn't take anybody into account um, uh, and usually hurts. So you mentioned something about, you know, a couple of pillars, and I know there's a direct correlation between EQ and leadership. There, you know, there's some things that come up <clears throat> that are required of leaders uh, to in, in order to effectively be in the EQ space. So can you share with me something around that? Yeah, and I think actually, let me share some numbers, because when people listen to emotional intelligence, you know, understanding what it is, and then really understanding its impact, we like to hear those kinds of things. So when we think emotional intelligence, sometimes we get stuck because of the word emotion. And we interpret that to mean we have to become more sensitive, we have to become um, more extreme. So that word sensitive means I have to be able to cry more with people and I have to be able to not go into certain emotions and our ability to really understand that it's a set of skills is critical, I think, to overcoming the hurdle that gets us stuck with the word emotional intelligence, because we're not stuck with the word IQ. You know, we're okay with our intellectual quotient being tested and assessed and studying for it. I mean, pretty much when we get out of the womb, we're working on that. <laughs> Someone's trying to teach us a shape, a color, a sound, a letter. And then we're tested on it over and over and over again and stack ranked and compared. And this is often how we promote people as well. 
So emotional intelligence really only accounts in the workplace up to a threshold. So when you and I learn the same technical skills and can perform those skills at the same level, basically our IQ, we're at the same threshold. The one of us that has greater EQ will outperform the other person by 68 to 90%. That is a huge difference in performance based on a set of skills that we can learn at any point in our life. And then we can take a look at an emotionally intelligent leader retains their employees four times longer than one who isn't. And when we think about how costly losing people is in our workplaces, then growing leadership emotional intelligence is It's not even like a nice to have. It's a need to have in any organization that wants to hit any of their bottom line profit. So those are just a couple of numbers associated with it. And there is a mass of research out there for people to explore in the realm of emotional intelligence. But in a nutshell, it really is our ability to understand our emotions, where they're coming from, meaning how do we create them? how it impacts us and our behavior, and then how that impacts the behavior of those around us. And then when we're interacting with other people, emotional intelligence is how we use our emotions constructively to inform our relationship building, our decision-making, and our ability to manage stress. So when we're a leader, there's four key dimensions of leadership under emotional intelligence, and one of them is authenticity. So An authentic leader is someone who demonstrates fair and moral behavior and has a really transparent approach, which means people can trust them because they're consistent. It doesn't matter who they're across from, doesn't matter what context or content they're in, they show up the same every single time. And because that depth of trust is established, what that ends up doing is it ends up commanding esteem from people around them meaning that people want to follow them. And a leader is only worth its weight in followership. I mean, if i am got a title as a leader and no one's following me, I'm not really a leader, am I? I might be managing work, but I'm certainly not leading people. Um, the other three are coaching, insight, and innovation. And when we look at all of these pillars, we can probably think immediately, if it's a leader that's listening, that, oh, yes, Absolutely. I spend a lot of my time coaching other individuals to release the potential that's within them. That's my job as a leader is to sort of remove the chains that people sometimes bind themselves with by creating an atmosphere for them to succeed in. My job isn't to make them succeed. I'm supposed to create the atmosphere where they go, oh, this is where I get to learn and fail and build a tribe and do meaningful work and contribute my value and worth. Excellent. Now I can show up feeling psychologically safe to do all of that. A leader who's insightful is one who provides a mission really clear. So clarity and purpose and mission is critical for people to say yes. What am I coming to work for today? I have no idea. I don't know what I know what project I'm working on, but I don't know why I'm working on it or what it's contributing to. I don't even know what my sliver of the pie is, or if I'm in the same pie as everybody else, or if I'm pudding, like, I don't even know (laughs) how I am part of the whole. And so a leader who's capable of providing that clarity of purpose and meaning really enables employees to be compelled 
to want to achieve the goal that's in front of them and then also exceed those goals. And then innovation is a buzzword. We hear it quite a bit. What does it mean to innovate? It means to create something that's new and different. But how often have any of us been part of a team where we actually came up with an idea that was brand spanking new. Most of the time we're creating a version of something else that's already been created. But an innovative leader doesn't allow that to hold them back. So they create again, the climate for risk-taking, for failure, for learning, for autonomous thought. They actually put up that stop sign to groupthink. Like, mm -mm -mm. we can't all be thinking the same thing in this meeting. I know somebody disagrees. Who's in disagreement and what are your ideas? And really encourages that, sure, knowledge is valuable, but the expression of pushing the boundaries is much more valuable than, I know this for sure. Then tell me what you don't know and what we maybe can try. So those are some of those pillars or dimensions of leadership that require a lot of emotional intelligence skills to really execute on. Yeah, I'm a firm believer. I'm listening to you as you're going on. I'm saying, yeah, that's exactly what we need in every room, every meeting, somebody that can do those things, uh, not just intellectually, right? Because you do require some type of context on the intellectual side for whatever it is that you're doing. Um, that's usually why most uh, great technicians get pushed into leadership. Maybe they don't ever want to, but that's why, because they've uh, provided an intellectual context to the group that says, Hey, you are above. So you must be able to do this or that. But as you so well mentioned here, you know, the four key dimensions, uh, and, and that's why I love bringing to all the listeners, a, a, a different viewpoint for leadership because we're so multidimensional in the aspect of executing leadership that if we miss one area, it'll side, you know, it'll sidetrack us in another one and we won't be that holistic leader that everybody's looking for. Now, you know, there's, there's all kinds of levels of leaders. You know, you got your, your, your weaker leaders, you got your midstream leaders, you got your strong leaders. And, you know, th there's there's some things that we need to ground ourselves to, right? We, we have to anchor ourselves on a thing or several things if you need to, to become that strong leader. So talk to me about, you know, what makes that strong leader strong? So this, what I've noticed in working with leaders everywhere from an emerging leader who's about to get their first management role to the CEO or president of the company, what I have noticed in working with that spectrum of leadership, both in responsibility, pressure, experience, is when they lack in self-perception or self-regard, that they will continue to struggle no matter their length of experience in leadership. And so that self-perception and self-regard is how I feel about myself. When I lack confidence, esteem, when I have a difficult time accepting my flaws and my weaknesses, when I have a belief system as a leader that says I must know all and be better than everyone, 
I'll never be able to hit that bar. I'll never be able to elevate to be a strong leader because I will continually hold myself back from what we know helps others excel. So what we know for sure helps an individual to excel is having a strong level of self-confidence, respect, self-compassion for your strengths and your weaknesses and loving the whole of who you are. You really have to know what those things are, which is often why in emotional intelligence assessments, we use a 360 degree assessment where we have rater groups rate the leader and be able to provide them with feedback because a rater will self-assess and we'll see what they think of their own skills. And then we'll have these other groups of people assess them anonymously. And we'll notice these huge discrepancies sometimes in like, this is what I think of myself. And these groups all disagree with me. Either they disagree and they think I have greater skills than I do, or I don't have the skills that I think I have. And that is such valuable feedback because we need the external to validate if we're being objective on our own assessment. So we think that that piece, self-regard and self-perception, is a, is a critical piece to develop internally if and when a leader wants to move from emerging, not experienced, not as confident yet, to being that strong leader that really flourishes in any environment with any person. Because my definition of a strong leader is you could put them in any situation with any person or people, and they will flourish in that situation. There's no one or no thing, no topic that they can't sit in as a leader and navigate themselves and others through. And this means, obviously, they can't know all. Like, I don't need technical skills to lead a group of people. I need the people to have the technical skills. I'm the leader. I'm not the doer. And that's a big distinction we often have to make in leadership, which, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes we promote that top performer into leadership because it seems like the next logical step, but they may not be leadership material. Number one, they might not want it. But number two, you might be taking them out of their zone of genius. Their zone of genius might be execution of those technical skills, not leadership. And we bypass a lot of our leaders because we look for you must be able to do the job to lead the job. And it's just very old thinking. You know, that as you as you're talking, describing, you know, what what would make a person uh, rise up into the positions of strength as a leader. I, I was just know thyself, know thyself. Just it just kept playing in my head because I, I often say, you know, leadership starts with you and and. I believe that because that's how I had to do it. Mm-hmm. I was an I was a successful leader and hence my hashtag, right? <laughs> success. I I was that successful leader. It there was a lot of evidence of 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 great things happening, but it was it was not by me. Although I was getting all the accolades, it, it was just was not by me. And so I became dependent on everybody else's execution. And um, to your point, I couldn't do most of the stuff that they were that they were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I transitioned to 
becoming more aware of myself before I was aware of them and their capabilities, because it was through my guidance and leadership that they were able to. And I, I remember you said, Hey, they come into this environment. They're like, Oh, that's what I got to be doing. And so I ended up going through that cycle myself, mm-hmm. but it's had to start with me. And I, I tell you that there is no strong leader out there that has not been through this process. It's just, um, and, and by strong, I don't mean by demanding or, you know, throwing barking orders. That's not strong that I'm talking about. I'm talking about everybody loves to follow this person mm-hmm. because they have confidence that wherever that person leads them, it's going to be, you know, glory, right? <laughs> Proverbial yes. glory and, and, and working, uh, you know, stance and stuff, but we have, so many skills that we have to learn as leaders. There's just a, such a great demand on making sure. And, and we have it every year. They send people to these conferences every year. They send people mm-hmm. to these trainings. They kind of like, you know, bandage the uh, leadership uh, cycle so they can get to where they think they need to get to and nothing really happens. But there are, there are fundamental EQ skills that must be learned? One of the things, so I led a learning and development department for 16 years. And in, in maybe about the last five years that I was in that job, I started to recognize that leaders came back to training. And I found that confusing and frustrating. So I had conversations, started to have conversations with people like, why are you coming back to the training? Did you forget it? Did the tools not work? Um, was the training not good? And those were never the problem. The response was usually something along the lines of, I understand the material, but when I got back to the real life stuff, I couldn't execute on it. So I have my notes and I've read them and I've read the book. And I have the cheat sheets that say step one, two, three, four, five. But when I get to step two and, you know, my employee, my direct report, my peer, when they don't say the things that we practiced in our role play in the safe space of the learning environment, I don't know what to do. Sometimes I don't even have the conversation and start it because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to screw it up. I'm afraid I'm not going to do it well. I'm afraid they're going to get mad at me. And over and over and over again, what I heard was emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence. I was like, oh, the problem is they lack emotional intelligence skills. Not that they don't understand five steps to having a difficult conversation, four steps in performance management. Like we could give them all the steps that they wanted, but they couldn't execute on it because they didn't have those foundational skills. So when we think emotional intelligence, the bottom line of emotional intelligence is our own personal emotional self-awareness. If I do not know what triggers certain emotions within me, especially fear-based emotions. So fear is a primary emotion that can lead to secondary emotions like frustration, anger, agitation, which can lead to behaviors that are outbursts, aggressive, avoidant, even in their nature. If I can't amp up my emotional self-awareness skills, then I will consistently fall into the trap of letting my emotion dictate my 
behavior, my choices, the decisions I make, how I choose to act. When I learn how to identify emotions and how I'm creating them. So for example, when I get angry about something, it's not because someone else did something that made me angry. It's because internally I interpret what they do and I attach anger to it because I have a belief about something and perhaps they behaved in conflict to that belief or value. And that made me quote unquote, made me anger, but what it angry, what it essentially did is it triggered internally my belief system, my value system. And I recognized we're in conflict here. Ooh. And this conflict brings about the emotion anger, because what I'm telling myself is this person doesn't value the same thing I do. And so now I put them in a they category and I've separated them from me instead of expanding my circle of compassion and including them in the circle with me and as soon as I do that I can manage my own emotion and go "Mm, hang on let me just check that for a second extend compassion to the other individual and use the skill of empathy So the skill of empathy is an interpersonal skill and emotional intelligence. And basically what it does is it's my ability to seek to understand someone else's perspective, experience, emotions. So if I'm in a performance review with someone, if I'm in a coaching conversation with someone, if I'm in a difficult conversation with someone, if I'm in a team meeting with someone and I notice someone's body language shifts in a way that is indicating something's up with them and I don't stop and address or acknowledge what I just observed, then basically as a leader, what I'm allowing to happen is I'm allowing their emotions to get the better of them in the moment and I'm pushing them outside of the circle. So my emotional self-awareness gives me the skills to then integrate emotional self-awareness with other people and use skills like empathy to seek to understand their perspective, to bring them into dialogue so we remain cohesive as a team. That's just one, well, that's kind of two of the skills that a foundation that leads us to other skills that we can then use. Because what's really interesting about emotional intelligence skills, they all live in our prefrontal cortex. They're part of our, where our IQ, our rational, logical brain is. And what can be confusing for people is we think emotional intelligence is only operating in the emotion centers of our brain, but our brain is not compartmentalized where things only work in certain compartments. Our brain is wired all together. So when I notice an emotion and I go, Ooh, I know that if I follow that emotion, it's going to take me to this behavior. I know that about myself. So I'm not going to follow it. Instead, I'm just going to allow the emotion to exist. I'm going to try not to label it, judge it, give thinking to it, because when I do, boy, does that ever amplify it? Going to take a breath, going to calm myself. And then I'm going to intentionally choose a rational, logical, emotional intelligence skill, empathy, assertiveness, flexibility, impulse control. And I'm going to use that skill to have a conversation or do an action that helps to make this situation much more productive. That is just, you know, if you look at a situation, you know, like you just played out there, you notice this particular person and that happened to me yesterday. I was I was at a meeting. I did. I I like not to talk a lot at meetings, 
because I like to observe. Mm. And I noticed this person, their facial, <laughs> their facial expressions kind of changed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was able to see that. But had I been in the yappity yap, every, you know, trying to run this uh, this thing, I would have missed out on that. And it was critical for me to have addressed that it really would have made a difference. The outcome of the project afterwards, had I not noticed that. So for those listening, you know, you're placed into leadership positions, whether you wanted to, or how we mentioned earlier, whether you wanted to or not, sometimes necessity in organizational structure demands that they need somebody there and you're just the obvious person at the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, whether you felt ready or not, uh, these situations will come. And it just behooves us as leaders to get a little smarter about ourselves first so that we can get intelligent about somebody else. It, it, we are so we're made up of so you just mentioned the brain this thing is amazing and it's just one piece of us the mm -hmm. brain and it's just so amazing so imagine another another person and you're trying to deal with this amazing thing and that's how i see people it's just amazing uh the, the fact that they're standing in front of me is amazing mm -hmm. because so many people have gone you know gone on mm -hmm. and so when i think about uh, leadership and my relationship with the person that i'm leading it's an awe striking moment for me to even think that i was the confidence in me and my abilities was so great <clears throat> that they would allow me to lead this other amazing person it's just you, you have to be in awe of your leadership platform or else you'll misuse it. And so being intelligent in these categories, you mentioned uh, skills like stress tolerance, uh, impulse control. I know, I know it helps with problem solving. I know that, uh, you know, independence uh, is, is drawn out from those, uh, you know, as skills. So um, and I told you, Teresa, we could talk about this <laughs> all day long and still maintain the smile because it's just one of those things that, that once you get into it and understand it, you will appreciate it as a leader because it makes you better. Mm -hmm. um, and so, Teresa, what could you tell a leader that is struggling with the stigma of EQ? <laughs> Uh, that's in the workplace because there is a, I've heard, I've, I've heard things like all that mushy stuff. Yeah. All that, that, uh, you know, feel, uh, what is it? Warm, warm, fuzzy feeling kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. and it, and it is not that. So what could you tell a leader that's on the fence about this thing, uh, and is seeing it from all the wrong angles to, to draw them in, to at least explore the possibilities of how this would make them a better leader. I think one of the things that has been a theme of our conversation is 
You first have to have the willingness to become aware of yourself. And that might sound like, yeah, I'm aware of myself. <laughs> what I mean is when we're in leadership, we have to be aware of the wake that we leave because other people are looking to us and toward us for certain things. We have responsibilities and expectations because we hold that title. Sometimes the abusement of that title is what has really tarnished it over the years. And maybe way too often we think of the leader that is tarnishing the role instead of thinking about the leader that is making the role why so many other people want to also be a leader. So if you're struggling with this concept of like, why would I want to develop my emotional intelligence? If you don't want to develop it because you're like, that'll make me a better leader for other people, then let's just think about why develop it for you. And individuals that are emotionally intelligent are 90% um, more satisfied with their life, happiness, relationships. Like the significance in our own well-being by developing our own emotional intelligence is, I think, the number one selling point literally for it, is that your well-being will go through the roof as you develop your emotional intelligence skills. Because what keeps us unwell are these persistent, difficult emotions. And if we don't learn to understand why we create them, the way that we create them, and learn how to manage them, and actually diminish how often they show up in our life, then we will consistently operate in a space of unwellness or a disease. Disease, disease. When we think about our physicality in the space of unwellness and the impact of our inability to manage emotions, aka manage our stress, the impact of that is all scientific research is high blood pressure, heart disease, right? And um, accelerated aging, body aches, chronic back pain, diabetes, like the list goes on and on, poor sleep. It goes on and on and on and on as to how we feel emotionally and our ability to manage that has such a ripple impact in our own wellness. So if you're on the fence, just consider that as why you would want to invest in it. And here's the thing, as soon as your wellness goes up, you become much more approachable. You become much more open in dialogue and conversation. You will notice that other people's behaviors don't rub you the wrong, like you don't get as irritated by things anymore. And when we consider like, what is that? What is that skill in emotional intelligence? That skill is impulse control. So if those listening are like, where would I want to start? I did mention emotional intelligence, uh, emotional self-awareness is the foundation. So learning about your own emotions, but even sometimes a better place to start is an impulse control because it's a skill that pulls us out of reactivity. So if, if you're currently listening and you're finding yourself in this sort of repeat of reaction, 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 reaction. You're like, man, why did I do that again? Why did I stay quiet? Why did I blurt something out? Why did I um, not speak up? Why did I respond with like anger and frustration? So to pull yourself out of that impulse control is a skill that we can 
all demonstrate. And we have to practice these skills to become better at them. Impulse control is our ability to resist or delay an impulse, a temptation, make a rash decision. (laughs) So basically, to practice impulse control, you have to pause. Before anything comes out of your mouth, you have to count to three or 10, depends. (laughs) And just giving yourself space to feel what you're feeling and challenge it and open your heart and your mind is enough to start connecting you to your emotions and your IQ. Because when your EQ comes up, your IQ flourishes. When our EQ is low, we can't even IQ access our our IQ. Just think about the stupid decisions we make when we are off the charts in our emotional response. And it doesn't even matter for like when we're enraged. I've seen people driving that you can tell they're enraged because of the stupid decisions that they are making on on a roadway that that without that emotion, they would never be doing. But I've also seen it in states of like ecstatic excitement that people make the worst decisions as well where when they're in this seemingly feel-good emotion. So we have this sort of zone of our emotions and each person's is different. That's why I'm not saying you can only reach an eight out of 10. <laughs> no, everyone's zone is different. You have to know what your zone is before your emotions hijack your intellect. And the goal is to stay within that zone so your IQ can stay t- turned on. But if you don't have that emotional self-awareness, you won't be able to keep yourself in that zone. I totally agree that that's uh, probably the better place to go in and start when you're trying to go down this road. But what a what a place to start uh, and and just capitalize on your own uh, enrichment uh, mm-hmm. because it really does make a difference when you, de- you take take it some time to pause between <laughs> your response. Uh, what you've just received and your response goes hand to hand with communication skills as well, uh, mm-hmm. because you just are able to communicate a little better when you can do that. So, Teresa, thank you so much for sharing your morning with me, all the information. And like I said, we could talk about this all day. But if someone wanted to get a hold of you, Teresa, uh, for your advice, for your trainings, I know you do masterminds. I know you do uh, uh, sessions with folks. How could they do that? So you can email me directly if you want to know what's going on and have a discovery call about developing emotional intelligence, either as an individual or bringing it into your team or your organization. And my email is Teresa at IQEQTQ.com. And then my website is the same six letters www.IQEQTQ.com. And you'll find lots of information and resources available there as well. Outstanding. We'll have that as part of the video and show notes for folks to be able to get a hold of you. Once again, Teresa, thank you so much. Uh, This has been uh, an an enriching uh, and (laughs) inspiring episode for me. Uh, I hope that all the listeners get exactly what I got and even more. Uh, And if you need to get a hold of Teresa, go ahead and do that. Uh, through the provided information. As we love to close this show, success to you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'd love to hear suggestions for our future shows or any remarks you may have 
that will help us improve. Until then, success to you.